Welcome to Canterbury Business, The Lowdown, episode nine in our podcast series produced and brought to you by Tandem Studios. It's also created with the help of our amazing partners, Christchurch NZ and the Canterbury Chamber of Commerce. One essential service that uh, we sometimes forget about, but we use every single day and especially during the lockdown, is the news media. They're the ones who are bringing us the daily updates and keeping us informed about what's going on. And they've been working really hard throughout the lockdown, just like the supermarkets and the healthcare workers. Kamala Heyman is the news editor of the press and has been since 2018. It is Canterbury's major newspaper publication and a huge part of Canterbury life. And so Kamala joins us today in this episode to just give us an update on how their newsroom is coping with reporting on an ongoing crisis. So Kamala, thank you for joining us. How are you keeping? Well, first of all, where are you at the moment? Where's home for you? Where's work for you? Oh, uh, no, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it's, uh, it's really um, nice to have an opportunity to talk to talk about uh, our world with somebody else. Um, I'm at home. Um, we're all working from home and my home is on Huntsbury Hill. So, yeah, I feel particularly privileged to be able to be in a really nice spot. Um, so my backyard is, is the Port Hills, so I can be able to get out for walks and runs and stuff, you know, semi-rural part of world and have lovely views so yeah I'm very lucky Um, and my desk is the kitchen table so um, (laughs) it's every every meal time you've got to clear work away do you (laughs) well yeah I've actually taken over like a third of the table permanently so we're just a bit more crowded that's all yeah that's the thing Uh, you, you know most New Zealanders know that we do live in a special place, but at this time during the whole coronavirus pandemic, aren't we lucky that we live in a place where you can go for a walk through the Port Hills? We've got space around us. Many other parts of the world, they don't have that opportunity, that that, that joy that we get here. Oh, I just feel incredibly lucky. Um, and even, yeah, most people in New Zealand, even their sort of walk around the block is, is pretty nice. Um, and in Christchurch especially, you know, everyone's got... Somewhere nearby, there's parks in every kind of neighbourhood, isn't there? So um, we're really lucky. I saw in Spain they've actually been physically contained to the indoor of their apartment or house, mm. not even allowed out on the street. And now they've just left them out for you know supervised walks. I think it's just awful. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the role of the news media media during this pandemic. Um, how do you approach something like this? Because it all took us a bit by shock, the speed of the whole thing, and suddenly we're in lockdown. So how do you think the news media handles something like this? Yeah, it's been a, a, a really interesting and unusual time for us. We, um, we're lucky that we've got the technology to all be able to work from home. Um, so in that sense, we're quite privileged um, to have jobs that we can do from home. Um, I mean, the fundamentally, the job of the news media is to inform, to tell everyone what's going on. So, uh, but to some extent, the public are getting the basic information at these daily press conferences, you know, the Ashley Bloomfield show. So um, our role is also to be the traditional watchdog, to to ask Mm -hmm. questions and challenge the strategy and challenge what we're being told. Um, And I think that's been quite important where where so many, the, the messages are so sanitised um, in the sense that we've only got Ashley Bloomfield and 
you know, Jacinda Ardern and Grant Robertson answering questions. Um, so, you know, we right from the beginning, we've been having to, to ask questions like, but nurses are telling us they haven't got enough PPE, you know, um, doctors say they haven't got enough flu vaccine, um, questions like that, whereas the ministry was saying that there's no shortages. Um, and yet what we were hearing on the front line didn't match with the official line. And I'm not saying anyone was not telling the truth. I just think that sometimes the, when the power is centred in just a few people in Wellington, they're not always aware of what's happening on the ground. So the role of the media to some extent is to be the voice of those people who are not being heard. Um, that one o'clock news conference every day has turned into, especially because so many people are home, it's turned into appointment viewing and obviously a lot of journalists are parts of that show. How different is it from a usual press conference where you'll be asking questions of the Prime Minister to where now the whole country is watching a press conference? Normally, no one watches a press conference. We just see the edited pieces at the end of it all. No, that's right. It's um, sort of two it's quite different in two different ways. Um, in one sense, those press conferences are quite standard for our press gallery reporters. Um, but usually all the public will see is a very tightly edited, maybe 20, 30 seconds um, of an answer to a specific question that one reporter includes in a package. Um, you don't usually get to see the, the same questions asked multiple different times as different journalists try to get different um, takes on, on the story of the day uh, so that's been quite different the other the other aspect to it is that what we've found is that our normal inquiries to local um, health boards or um, even councils to some extent are all being filtered through to the national press conference and we're told we can't answer that the ministry has to and the ministry says you need to put that to the one o'clock press conference so it's almost like all the questions that would be dealt with locally are now constrained to that one press conference. So our opportunity to ask questions is quite small and that's why it sounds like such a clamour. Um, uh, and the other aspect that I would say about the public watching that is um, because this is a national crisis and there's a real sense of us working together and Jacinda Ardern talks about a team of five million and all of us being part of that team and doing our bit. Um, and we, we, we feel that, and we certainly feel as media we're part of that. Um, but there's also some kickback from some readers if we challenge our leaders, as it were, almost as if we are not being part of the team, not playing our role to sort of pull together, um, that we're actually unsettling and destabilising um, the unity, which is obviously not the intention. Um, the intention is to... To ask questions where they need to be asked because sometimes the answers we're giving are not are not adequate or the information being provided isn't sufficient um but yeah so we do get a little bit of a kickback from that and i think some journalists have um had quite a lot of quite a lot of nasty personal abuse online because of it yeah that's sad to hear but it's um it is the the, the reality i guess when everyone's focused on this one item all the attention goes on that. And as you say, if someone's not, looks like they're towing the party line, they're an outsider. It, it's, it's an interesting study of human behavior. I, I, I guess people will be looking at this for many years to come. How would you say 
the reporting on this crisis is different from like the days of the earthquake, which I, I know you were a part of, 2011, um, or, or the terrorist attacks of last year. How different is this one? Gosh, it, it, it is amazing. I mean, a number of us have been through um, quite a few different uh, crises over the last 10 years. Um, they are all different um, in lots of ways, but I'd say that if we're just talking about the newsroom specifically, the biggest difference for us is that we're not together as a newsroom. Um, so even after the earthquakes, we did everything we could to work together um, in one space. So it's, you know, on on that day, on that Tuesday, February 22, we all gathered together in Latin Square and just um, set up a newsroom on the grass. Um, and by that, by the next day, we had set up on the cafe at our printing plant and logistics drive. And eventually, as you all know, we ended up in porter cabins for 15 months, um, mm. really, really crowded in together. Um, these horrible, cold, stuffy, <laughs> cramped porter cabins. Um, but it was because while we could work from home and technology allowed us to, it is much more efficient and effective to work together. I mean, there's a reason newsrooms have always been open plan. It's so much easier to call out, um, you know, it, it, the speed of reacting to something. It's so much easier if you can all be together in one space. Um, we're trying to contact people, even though we've got fantastic communication tools now with video calls and Slack channels and Google um, documents, it's just not the same as being able to see people face to face. So it's just, a, it's harder to do that coordination. Um, but, but you know, we, we, we have been able to and the tools we've got are fantastic um, now, much better than they would have been um, 10 years ago for the earthquakes. Um, but what we did, I, I also wanted to mention that after the terrorist attack, the one thing that we began doing and we're now doing um, to an even greater extent is working as a single national newsroom. So all the different newsrooms from staff working together. The mosque attack was so big, it was far too big for the Christchurch newsroom to cover all the angles and the important aspects of what needed to be covered and what was really a global story. Um, so we all we all learnt how to work together as a newsroom, how to have joint news conferences across the country, how to share ideas in a way that was effective, not double up, not stumble over each other. Um, and we're doing that to a much greater extent now um, and every day. Mm. So we have, we have um, national news conferences twice a day um, and then some smaller local news conferences a couple of times a day as well, just so we try and keep that coordination really tightly highly in hand. Obviously the story, the pandemic and everything that falls out from that is the big story, but how do you keep variety within the newspaper so it's not just corona, corona, corona? You know, how do you find some and, and then it's not a flippant little story as well. How do you do that? Yeah, well actually I would say that on the one hand, we haven't. Um, we haven't told many stories that are not coronavirus because I'd say the thing about this pandemic is that it's affected absolutely every aspect of our lives um, from you know the, the, the daily news to the kind of crimes that are being picked up by police in terms of breaches um, to the, you know the cooking the shopping the, the the recreation everything has been affected um, but that said, within that, we are, there is a great, there is still a lot of variety and we really try every single day to tell some positive stories. Um, 
and you know the, the, the cool things that businesses are doing where they're sort of streaming their yoga sessions or um, um, businesses that are managed to gear up quite quickly to to support people online um, individuals finding neat ways to help each other you know the whole the teddy bear hunt at the start and yeah um, yeah so I, th I think it has been really important to tell the positive stories as well as the difficult ones um, we had a series called the coronavirus champions which was just talking to people who were having to go out every day while the rest of us were in lockdown and what that experience was like for some of them um, yeah so I, I think we've tried to do as much variety as we can, but I would say that there haven't been many stories that weren't in some way affected by coronavirus. We're not doing some research for talking with you today. I, I found out the first daily newspaper was published back in 1690. It was called Public Occurrences, Both Foreign and Domestic, which you've got to say is a snappy title for the paper. Uh, the press, I know it started in 1861, and here we are in 2020, how is your newspaper looking today? Have you noticed an increase in subscription? Uh, have the online numbers gone up? Uh, are things, you know, from that reader's point of view, do we still want the news? Yeah, um, what's been extraordinary, and a lot of this has been discussed quite um, publicly, our subscribers have gone up um, quite significantly in the many thousands. Wow. Um, since this began and our online audiences have literally never been bigger um, so our audiences are huge um, but what's quite strange about the media business is that we're almost like we're two businesses um, that are symbiotic we, one can't exist without the other but we are two very separate businesses one is telling the news and reaching our audience and sharing information and sharing stories with readers the other side of our business is um, selling advertisers and so it's advertising clients and the message they want to tell their customers and our two aspects of our business have always been symbiotic so when we've got more readers advertisers want to advertise more because they can reach their customers um, but that broke very very suddenly um, with with the closure of most businesses and our advertising just basically dried up um, almost to zero overnight. It's dramatic. So while we've got more subscribers, readers will have noticed that um, our papers are smaller. The press is quite a bit smaller at the moment um, because we just haven't got the advertising and the advertising volume dictates how many pages of news we can bring because it costs money to print pages. So um, that's been quite a quite a distressing site for a lot of us. We can, you know, share all the stories that we have we've had to make some really difficult decisions and um and i don't know how much you want sort of me to go into the kind of finances and our reaction to that but we've had to ask a lot of columnists tell them that we can't pay them um mm -hmm. and almost all of them have offered to write for free through this crisis um and quite hearteningly since we went to level three the amount of advertising has ratcheted back up quite quickly. I mean, we're still not back to where we were, but I've been really heartened to see how how quickly businesses have got back in the game and supported us through their advertising, which has been fantastic. 
Well, I'm really happy to hear that because I get the newspaper delivered to our home every day. And one of the joys for me is sitting down there first thing in the morning. It's the, it's the cliche, the cup of tea on the breakfast table with the newspaper in front of me. Um, and one of the things I do like about the newspaper, I mean, I enjoy online, but the newspaper, it's the way that you lay it out. I like all the, the stories all in one batch. You turn the page and there's another few stories in front of me. When you first started in journalism, what inspired you to get into it? I, I know you studied at Canterbury University. What was the inspiration for you to go, I want to be a journalist? Um, gosh, it's, it's, it almost evolved. Um, I, <laughs> I studied chemistry at Canterbury University and um, I, I, I love the intellectual challenge of it. I, my parents were both scientists and I, I love science and learning about how things work. Um, but as I went through my degree, I ended up doing an honours degree, and in your last year, you do quite a big practical project. You do some lab research, and I didn't actually really like the practical side of it. And I thought, goodness, I've actually got into something so that I really don't want to spend, you know, my whole career doing. And I was casting around for something else to do, and I'd. Um, I'd always loved news, and I was applied to for the um, Canterbury journalism course and I was amazingly um, I was accepted I was really surprised to be accepted um, and even at that stage I didn't know that would be my career but as soon as I started the course I enjoyed it and I just enjoyed it more and more and more and it was um, uh, just never looked back I've been very very lucky to find something I've enjoyed doing I think what we do is important um, and valuable to society uh, and it's every single day is different so it sort of satisfies my need for something new every day. Could you believe then that if you could see yourself back then that you would one day be the editor of the press? I mean that's a really prestigious uh, position here in Canterbury. No, well, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I'm not sure that's quite the right description for what I do um, as prestigious, but uh, I do, I do understand the responsibility of the, of the press, and I feel more of a caretaker. Um, I think the paper, as you say, has been around for more than 150 years, and people feel a real sense of ownership. So when mm. our readers complain, I really understand why, because they feel like the paper is something they've invested in and they have a real share and stake in it. So I feel a bit more like a caretaker and a real sense of responsibility about how we tell stories. Um, and every day, you know, I really do think quite carefully about whether that story should run and in what shape. Um, we make mistakes. Um, we make mistakes all the time, but uh, it is something I'm really conscious of. Uh, and no, no, I certainly didn't expect to be in this position, but uh, feel really honoured, privileged to be able to do that. Can you tell me about the role of an editor? What do you do? What's your job? What's your daily job? How does that shape up? Uh, it's a real mix of things. Um, and I end up sort of jumping into different parts of the business. So. Um, I'll jump on the news call and I'll have it, I'll listen to the news directors about what kind of stories the journalists are doing and I'll ask him, have you looked at this and have we, so I'll sort of um, uh, have some engagement with the day-to-day -day news and what people are doing and um, jump in on stories and talk to reporters directly if there's something I'm really um, keen that they follow up. Um, but a lot of the minutiae of each story is 
managed by the news directors. Um, I also, every day there's a, a, a national call with the other editors around New Zealand, so we try and talk about the issues that we face. There's HR, HR, um, making sure that our reporters uh, are happy, looked after, any issues that they have that I deal with that. Um, it might be raise it with some other editors if there are issues that uh, other newsrooms are seeing as well. Um, so, and also dealing with complaints um, from readers or people we've written about. Um, so there's, that's an aspect of it. And then um, in the evening, it's dealing with the, the production team and discussing what kind of stories we'd like to get into the paper. So, yeah, I dip into all of those aspects, but most of, all of that can be done without me, if that makes sense. Um, I can be as involved, you know, there's always more I can do, but there's only so many hours in the day, so I can get as involved as I can. Um, but all aspects of the newspaper, from getting the story to publishing it in the paper each day, can be done without me, if that makes sense. I kind of try and hover over it all if I can. You mentioned earlier, Kamala, that you're working from home, from your kitchen table. How are you keeping your, your whole team inspired and motivated and, and supporting them when you're doing it all remotely? Uh, that, that, this is sort of the hardest question, and I, I, I'm not exactly sure of the answer. We, um, we're we all so busy. Um, I did think that, you know, I did have in the back of my head productivity was going to be an issue and that people would sort of slip away. You couldn't see what they were up to and they'd get distracted and they'd get demotivated. Um, but actually, there's been so much for everyone to do and journalists do love their job. Uh, so motivating um, hasn't been a problem at all. In fact, one of the biggest challenges I've had is to get people to take time off. Um, because they're stuck at home um, and they are set up on their kitchen tables, it's been a real struggle to get people to switch off um, and not pick up stories on their days off and uh, just try and have a break. So that's been one of the, <laughs> the sort of, sort of, in some ways, it's a nice challenge to have. So. Um, we're in this sort of really difficult situation that staff, um, all staff, staff have been asked to take all the annual leave. It's mm -hmm. an aspect that a lot of businesses are exploring to try and keep the books balanced um, because untaken leave is a debt on the books. Um, so we've all been asked, you know, I'm working, I'm taking one day off a week um, and a lot of other staff are having to take weeks and weeks off. Um, and as a result of that, they they kind of start to get a bit edgy and they get they hear stories and they want to participate and they want to come back on and they want to work so <laughs> yeah but another aspect of it is that every now and then we i get together with the other editors and we have a, a zoom or a google hangout kind of drinks meeting um from time to time it's a mixed success you know <laughs> it's been quite yeah. fun it's just keeping talking to people, isn't it? So no one feels isolated. Yeah, and and the you know the perennial question, how are you? How are you going at the moment? That kind of thing. How how are you looking after the the safety of the staff? Because a lot of your journalists, they're they're front line, they're out and about, they'll be on the road visiting, doing stories. What sort of protocols have you had to put in place for for the journalists? Is it just the two meter distance or anything else? Yeah, so mostly it's our visual journalists, our photographers who are out and about, um, and they have, we've bought masks for them, and they have um, 
boom mics so they don't have to get too close to people when they uh, video them. They take most of the, they don't go into people's houses or into buildings often or at all. Most of the photos we've done have been at doorways, through windows, out in the garden, in the park. Um, so they have been pretty careful. Uh, and most of our reporting has been done from home. So by phone, um, email, uh, it's, it's quite a strange and unsettling way to interview people to do it all remotely, but that has been the safest way to do it. So we'll only talk to people face to face at two meters distance uh, where we absolutely have to. I guess one of the key things about journalism is keeping uh, your finger on the pulse, on the, on the heartbeat of a community. And, and it's hard, as you say, when everyone's got to work from home, you're not looking at someone face to face. But what is the feeling you're getting in the Canterbury community at the moment? What's, what's, what's the vibe? It's just a real sense of people coming together. Um, other news... While we had um, a little bit of a spike on Sunday with that lovely weather and the move to level three and the sort of first opportunity people had to travel for recreation, we really did see thousands and thousands of people going to the beach and going onto foothills. Um, so that that was quite uh, quite noteworthy and quite newsworthy. But up until that point, Canterbury had a really low crime rate, a really low level of breaches relative to other parts of the country. I think we we all got it. Um, we all wanted to do our bit, uh, wanted to be quite careful. Um, so I I think I think people have been pretty positive. Uh, and certainly the feedback we have had is that people um, really supportive of the lockdown, really supportive of taking these quite considerable measures. We haven't had a lot of people saying to us, this is the wrong thing to do. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. Any suggestion that um, if, we, if we publish any information or criticism of the lockdown, in fact, readers have been quite, some readers have been quite annoyed by that. What about the stories that have jumped out at you uh, over the last, what is it, six weeks? <laughs> I'm losing track of time. But, but what sort of stories have jumped out, uh, whether it's from the business or whether it's from individuals, over the last few weeks? Uh, well, you know, some of the happy stories at the weekend, um, that couple that just couldn't wait to get married and they decided to get married with no more than 10 people keeping their distance. Um, I just thought that was lovely and it was um, especially nice for me because they actually got married in the same spot um, at the sign of the bellbird as, as I did. Um, oh, with, nice. Yeah, so that was really nice. I thought, <laughs> God, that's a lovely, uplifting story. I've been really... Uh, really moved by the stories of the, the, the staff who have worked at the Rosewood. Um, they haven't spoken to us directly, but families have talked to us about how amazing the staff have been and the nurses and the care staff at the Rosewood Rest Home, um, where so many people have died. I think it's 11 people have died in their rest home and um, the difficulty they have had just caring for those people while wearing PPE, um, just so tough. Um, the families not being able to visit, that's, that's been a sort of ongoing, I think there'll be more stories when, when we can sort of hear a little bit more about exactly how, how it's been for all of those people. Um, and then the business side of it, uh, really, really worried about businesses in Christchurch and I've, I've certainly tried to do my 
what I can and I'd urge everyone else to do what they can and can afford to just buy um, from local providers. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know if you went out and sort of bought some takeaways as soon as we had level three. Mm. Um, we, <laughs> I've never been much, never really been one for burgers, but what we did was ordered pizza from, we've got a really local pizzeria here called the Birdwood um, in Beckenham, and we ordered pizzas from them, and I hear they're doing a roaring trade in fish and chips, which is not their usual fare, but um, that's quite neat, and um, buying online from the Bohemian Bakery, they do sourdough bread, and I just bought a whole ton of sourdough bread off them and stick it in the freezer, yeah. and things like that, it's just... Um, yeah, but so yeah, there have been there have been just two aspects to this happen there, the the health side and the business side and um both very different stories, important stories mm-hmm. It's um we we spoke with David from Christchurch NZ, an economist, and he was talking about the hamburger economy. Just by buying <laughs> locally you're supporting the person who produced the bun, uh, the farmer who grew the beef, the other farmer who grew the lettuce, the person who's employed to put all the hamburger together. He was saying the hamburger economy is one of the key ways that uh, we can do our small little bit to help uh, Canterbury's economy come back. So keep buying those pizzas. Yeah, I mean, I found that, but I was quite shocked to hear, I don't know if you saw that, um, uh, that we, New Zealanders as a whole bought five weeks worth of takeaways yeah. in the last week. So that's kind of troubling in one sense, but also quite good in another. Um, yeah, uh, but I think as we hear about job losses, um, you know, I know people who've lost jobs already and uh, that's going to be very real and very tough. That, 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 is, that is going to bite. I mean, with the takeaway, one of the things we enjoyed with our takeaway was the fact that we didn't cook. First time uh, that we had experienced that takeaway for something like six weeks, so that was just a, a joy in itself. Have you been doing much cooking? Have you been getting out the old Edmunds cookery book or YouTube videos? <laughs> or what, what are you doing? For, what have you been doing? Yeah, I actually do really enjoy cooking and because I have had some compulsory days off, I've been attempting recipes that are just a little bit harder than I would normally, so I've really enjoyed that. We've had some, you know, so I might spend my day off and make a whole bunch of dinners that I can put in the fridge or the freezer and um, I've got this, there's a cookbook by a woman called Anna Jones, she's an English um, cook and uh, I love her recipes, they're mostly vegetarian or vegan and uh, there's one that I made which um, was a it's, a, it's a mushroom lasagna with something called liquid smoke, which I have no ah, idea. Yes. I've never yeah. used that before. Maybe you guys have, um, but that was that was a sort of interesting experience. Um, I've made bread, I've made banana bread. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, are there any other boredom busters like uh, Netflix shows that you can recommend, podcasts you're listening to, books that you're reading? Have you had time for any of that? Uh, yeah, I'd say that in the first two or three weeks, absolutely no time. It was really, really crazy, but um, things have settled down to more of a rhythm. And uh, certainly on my days off, I've really enjoyed uh, listening to more mu- music, more new music. We've um, unfortunately had three concerts that have been cancelled on us. So trying to make up for it by listening to Spotify. Um, mm-hmm. I, do, I do love podcasts, and uh, my favourite one is one that a colleague is involved in is called Dirt Church Radio and it's a trail running podcast. I, I only run short distances and this is really about ultra trail runners but I just love hearing them talk about themselves and their motivation and uh, the places they go and the kind of 
personal stories that they have, uh, told in a really chatty way. Um, I've watched a bit of TV. Uh, the, the one we're watching at the moment is called Normal People. I don't know if you've come across that. No, I haven't, no. It's, it's a BBC show based on a novel by the Irish author Sally Rooney. And it's about just about two young people. It's just beautifully, it, I suppose it's a, a, a tortured romance, perhaps, of these young mm -hmm. young people. But uh, it's been beautifully done. And um, we did watch something called In Plain Sight, which is a uh, again another British series about a Scottish serial killer in the 1950s, a guy who murdered um, half a dozen people. And it took oh, several no. years for the police to realise who, yeah, who he was and what he was up to. I can't. I haven't been able to binge those. I know a lot of people watching Ozarks, and yes, I, I just yeah. can't. I can't watch stuff that's too scary. I'm afraid I just have to switch off. And um, <laughs> I, I, I find, yeah, I find them just too distressing. And I think maybe because I don't know, maybe it's partly me, or maybe it's because in the world I live in. They are very. When there's murders, they're about real people, and I really keenly feel that, and I feel quite distressed by some of those shows. I can't, I can't just switch off. So. Uh, no, I can understand that completely. Ozark. I was watching that for a while during the first week, and at the end of the week, uh, the first season, I thought I can't keep watching this. It's too depressing. <laughs> it's putting exactly. me in a dark space. <laughs> I, I think that's good, exactly. And yeah. it's really, really well done. But I just, yeah, not for me. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy day. It was interesting hearing your description about what you do. So I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us and uh, wish you every success for you and the press in the, in the coming months as we deal with uh, post-lockdown. Thank you so much and uh, all the best to you too. Thanks so much, Dave. This has been Canterbury Business, The Lowdown, and it's made with the help of our great partners, the fantastic team at the Canterbury Chamber of Commerce. Remember, they've got those free webinars that are available to help businesses with the impact of COVID-19, and you can register at their website, cecc.org.nz. Christchurch NZ are our other wonderful partners. Each week they release a, a newsletter full of the latest news for businesses from around Canterbury. Uh, they've also got a lot of information on their website about the Christchurch NZ Business Support Subsidy. So check out their website, ChristchurchNZ.com. Now with today's mental health tip, we've got a short, short clip from Dr. Paul Wood. Now he's got some advice on cutting other people around you some slack, which is something many of us may not be thinking about at the moment. Here's Dr. Paul. You know, we're in really challenging circumstances and that's going to spill out into people's behaviour. Unfortunately, in psychology, we have this, this tendency to assume that other people's poor behaviour is a function of who they are as a person, that it's about some enduring characteristic they have, rather than that it's influenced by the situation they're in and the struggle they're experiencing. It's called the fundamental attribution error. Give that a Google if you're interested in a deeper dive. But really, the only thing that's important to know about it is that when we see behaviour we don't like from others, we're far better off to assume it's a function of the situation they're in than who they are. So next time someone in your bubble isn't showing up as the best version of yourself, someone in your team isn't at their best, someone at the supermarket, don't assume it's about who they are. You know, cut them some slack, give them the best, most generous possible interpretation. Assume it's about the situation they're in and the struggle they're experiencing. In doing so, you're going to feel compassion rather than irritation. Not only that, but you're also going to be less likely to personalise it and think it's about you because it's not about you. It's about the situation they're in. So 
cut of people more slack than usual. You know, we're all in this together. Aroha nui, big love. You got this, team. That was Dr. Paul Wood. Uh, you can head to his YouTube channel if you want some more and some other great advice from him as well. So thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can listen to all the episodes on iTunes or Spotify. And you can find all the podcast audio at our website, tandemstudios.co.nz. You can find links to share through your social media. If you do that, we do appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, and you can let us know how you're coping with the lockdown by getting in touch with us at dave at tandemstudios.co.nz. You've been listening to episode nine of Canterbury Business, The Lowdown, with myself, Dave Dunlay, Tania Green producing, and Brett Robinson as our audio engineer. We're all in lockdown, working from our homes. Stay safe, be kind, and take care.